Let's get ready to, uh, now that we've been brought into worship with our kids, right, let's, uh, let's get ready to join in worship now. And uh, let's all rise and get ready to, to come before the Lord and sing songs of praise and worship to Him and just kind of keep this going, right? We just keep it going.
riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light up the world forever reign. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. songs to you this morning, you and only you, no other name but your name, only the name of Jesus this morning. Father, let your spirit be mighty in this place, have your way in this place this morning. Father, let your will be done. Let the desire of your heart be realized this morning. And let us be vessels for it. We give ourselves to you. We open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. To your leading. To your guiding this morning. Lead us this morning, Father. There's nothing worth more that will ever Nothing can compare your
God, we come before you this morning, and Father, we do very much invite your very Spirit to come. And Father, we stand, we confess our need for the Spirit to come, especially on a passage like James 2. Father, there are so many errorous ways that we can start to live our lives if we think that uh, for some reason that uh, this grace that you've saved us with is such a, a cheap grace that we can just go out and live however we want, regardless of this call upon our lives. And yet, Father, if we sigh too much on works then we depend on ourselves and our own ability to somehow earn favor to you, Father. And both of those are in error according to your word. And yet, Father, we have such human tendencies to kind of go to one side or the other. We 
Father, by your spirit, will you give us understanding today of a passage that can be confusing, it can be complex, and yet, Father, you've told us to have childlike faith. And so that's even kind of that much more challenging to us. How can we have childlike faith when we come upon complex matters? So, Father, we ask this day that you would give us your word, truth. We would add nothing to it. We would take nothing from it. Father, that we would just preach your word and that your word would bring clarity to even these deep theological truths. We love you. We thank you. We need you, Father, as we praise you through Christ your Son. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Zach, will you help me get this table back here in front here? As we uh, move this table back, and it will come apart, so we've got to make sure that we kind of carry it in a way that uh, it's probably better to slide it than to carry it because that one, that side is loose over there. That will do for this one. Thank you, Zach. Okay. <laughs> there we go. James chapter 2. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at probably the most controversial passage in James this morning. Controversial because a lot of people have taken a couple verses. I believe that they have taken them out of context. And they have tried to say, well, man, what James is saying is very contradictory to what the Apostle Paul was saying. And so as we open up to James chapter 2, verses 14 through the, the latter part of that verse, we find some things that on the surface really do seem like they're kind of contradictory. And my prayer is that this morning, by spending a little bit of time, I know it's hot. I know this out of all the weeks. That, okay, have a short sermon, Bobby. Have a short sermon. Uh, this one we're going to treat with a little bit of simplicity, but we don't want to be too simplistic because it is kind of a, uh, an important matter. Uh, Bruce, you just got back from Alaska. And Alaska from 30,000 feet is a beautiful state. But from three feet, it is even more beautiful. And, and so the challenge when we come upon a passage like this, okay, do we go at 30,000 feet and we see the big truths, or do we go down and spend the next 10 weeks in 10 verses? And uh, I made a choice this week. Okay, let's do the 30,000 view, okay? And just pray that God will give us understanding. If you have questions after the service, then please, this week, email me, call me up. We'll have breakfast, we'll have lunch, we'll do something. Because I want this to be very clear. But instead of spending 10 weeks on 10 verses, we're going to do about a 30,000. We're going to fly over it pretty fast and try to sum it up. And so for you deep theologians, this is going to sound a little simplistic. For you that really don't care that much about theology, you're going to go, you really spent more time than I wanted you to on it. And can we get back to, you know, something that you think is more practical? But I promise you, nothing is more practical to our faith than realizing how are we made right with God? What the Bible would say, justified. How are we, in our sinfulness, justified with a holy God? How does that take place? Well, we call it being saved, uh, becoming a Christian, trusting Christ, a lot of different things. But, but how does that work? How do sinful people that have broken God's law become right with a holy God. We know the Bible doesn't teach that God just kind of ignores it. He's a just God. He's a holy God. And part of that holiness is that he has to very much judge sin. We know that God just doesn't wink and say, okay, I'm going to give you a freebie. How many freebies would you need? I mean, it's like me on the golf course with a mulligan. I can shoot in the 70s if I have about 70 mulligans. You know, if you, if you just are getting a freebie every time you have a bad shot, then, then maybe perhaps we could score on a level that would be rather competitive. 
But when it, when it comes to God's word, when we begin to reveal that we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, how do we as a people get justified, made right with a holy God? It's the most important question in your entire life. Not because I'm preaching this morning, but is that not ultimately, if there really is a God, and he really is holy, and when really sin does break relationship, is that not the most important question that you could ever ask? If there really is an eternity out there, how can I make sure that I am right with this God, that somehow provision has been made so that I will spend eternity with God as opposed to away from God? And the fact that one of our air conditioners is broken this morning, is, you know, and it's a little bit warm in here, kind of adds to that whole eternal thing. You know, do I want to be in the heavenly places where I think it's going to be nice and cool? And, and that, or do I want to be in a very warm, warm place? You know, we, we begin to think about that. So let me start off with this. Are we saved by grace or by works? Grace. Would you conclude that this morning that we're saved by grace, you know, through the faith that, that God instills upon us, that faith and grace is what saves us, not our works? Would everybody here kind of agree with that, or at least kind of start with that premise? Because when we begin to start with that, then we can really clear up a lot of this confusion almost from the very beginning. Because what we have here is Paul saying some things, James saying some things, and taking a couple verses in isolation, it seems like they very much are kind of talking about two different things. It would be the same way as if I went to Europe and they said, do you want to play football? I'm going, yeah, and I go in there, get my pads, get my helmet, and I come back out, and they have a little soccer ball. I'm going, okay, my bad. When you said football, I thought you meant American football. I did not mean, I know that you meant what we call in America soccer. Same word, football, means two different things, depending where you come from. Well, in a way, that's what's happening here with James and with Paul. They're both talking about being justified, but they're using different words. They're coming from two different purposes. And perhaps as we go through this passage, you will see why they took two different routes to get to the same place. It is the subject of salvation. How how can you really know if you're a Christian or not? How are you saved, made right with holy God? Let's look what Paul said. I could go to many verses, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, probably the most familiar to most of us. Many of us, if we grew up in church, we kind of became very familiar with this. It was kind of the foundation of our biblical understanding of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Paul implicitly, explicitly says, look... Bobby, you were not saved 99.9% by God's grace and by his, uh, you know, faith in the works of Christ. And then you added that last little cherry on top. It's not what Paul is saying. He said 100% of being made right with the Holy God, 100% is through your faith and the grace that God has exhibited and the work that was done through Jesus Christ. So we would see that and we're going, yes, that's right. Now let's go to one of the controversial verses that we'll look at this morning. James chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I want you to see the argument before we see the solution. One of those uh, seems pretty much that James is saying that you're saved through grace, but maybe with a little bit of works. Look what he says, verse 17. 
So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All of a sudden we begin to go, okay, my goodness. He's saying faith, and we're saved by this. But he said, man, if we don't have works with that faith, it's dead. It may be a key, but that key doesn't unlock the door. Oh, my goodness, which one is it? Now let's go a little bit farther. James 2.24 This is where we would get even a little bit deeper in our theology here. Because he uses this word justified. Again, the word justified is to be made right with a holy God. And look what he says. You see that a person is justified, made right with a holy God, by works and not by faith alone. Well, which one is it? Faith or works? Let's take a vote. Faith. Raise your hand. Works. You know, not by themselves. And what we're going to see is that he's not including that by itself. So very much he's going to... Let me tell you the answer and then see if the, the scripture proves that out, okay? Because doesn't it on the surface, if we just pick those three verses, those three passages, doesn't it seem like they're saying two different things? That's why we always have to take the scripture in context. Who he was writing to, what is the setting, what did the verse before say, what does the verse afterwards say. When you start to cherry pick the Bible, I promise you, each one of us are probably smart enough, intelligent enough to manipulate the word of God. I mean, I've seen people do it all the time. People that knew more versions than I will ever know in my life, and they start to twist the word of God to their own desire. That's why you have to take it in context. So now let's go back. Take this in context. And what we're going to see is that James is not saying that it has to be faith plus works. What he's saying is, hey, if you have real faith, real faith, man, you're going to have works in your life. Let me give you the simplest illustration that I know. That's not 100% congruent, but pretty close. When you get married, you get married in faith. You take these vows, for better or for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health. And we always want the better side of that. We want the rich. We know we've talked about this before. But, but the true covenant, the true marriage is based on, hey, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be there for you. Well, taking that kind of faith, step in faith. We were married 32 years ago. We were young kids. We did not have a clue. Or let me put it this way. She did not have a clue what she had to deal with, okay? But she has stood by there, okay? It has taken some work, would you say? A little. <laughs> she is so kind. She's going, okay? Now, she moved out in faith. You know, when we said our vows 32 years ago, she, she said, yes, I, I promise I'd take this. And that was in faith. Why is it faith? Because you don't know yet. You don't know what's the road ahead. And so it's taken some work. Now, we've been married the whole time. It wasn't, okay, only after you've done ten of these things, then you're really married. No, that faith was tested by the circumstances around us. And then that allows us to to act upon that faith. To act upon it. It's like the guy that was taking the wheelbarrow across um, the uh, Niagara Falls. Everybody was applauding him. And one guy came up and said, I don't really think it's that, all, that difficult. 
And the guy that was doing it said, okay, get in the wheelbarrow and, and I'll go across. Well, the guy didn't want to do that. You know, it's easy to poke fun and say, this isn't really hard until all of a sudden you have to exercise that faith. In my years of ministry, the thing that is most frustrating to Christians and speculators in the world that are not Christians is hypocrites, hypocrisy. But would you say that that's probably one of the biggest things that people throw up in your face if you're witnessing somebody? Well, man, I don't need to go to church because half those people in church are just as bad, if not worse, than I. And I, I agree. I said, yes, that's why we're a hospital for sinners. Man, we're just a hospital where we're trying to think more and more like Christ, act more and more like Christ, love more and more like Christ. So you're right. Half the people in our church are worse than you. So come join us. But the one thing that will just break so many people, well, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's really what James is addressing. He said, if you go out there and say that you are a Christian, you have this great faith, and yet nothing in your life lines up, nothing biblical lines up, that you're living out this faith, he said, man, all you did was just kind of, this fits this morning, hot air. He said, that's all you are. It's a bunch of hot air. <clears throat> so let's go back to the very beginning, James 2.14. And he poses a question. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? Now, look where it says, says he has faith. He's not, James is not saying, what good does it do, brother, if a man has faith? He's not making that supposition. His supposition is what? A man says he has faith. Just with his mouth verbally, he says, I'm a Christian. I have faith. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Not stating that the guy has faith. He claims to have faith. And here's a man who has, um, he's not saying here's a man who has real faith but he has no works to go with it. He's simply posing the question there of a man claiming to have faith. So he takes that thought, and look what he says in verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and if one of them says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, do they they think it or do they say it? Says to them. Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? Do you see his reasoning? You can't just say, hey, it's really hot in here this morning. And uh, don't, you, you can't just turn to Ricky and say, be cool. Be refreshed in the freshness of this 75, 76, whatever it is in here now. You can say it. But if somebody doesn't fix the air conditioner by next week, if we don't pass out fans, if we don't do something, is it going to change anything? No. You can say it to your blue in the face. Do you see the simple argument that James is making? If somebody knocks on the door and says, man, I'm really hungry. Well, go be blessed. Go, go you know, hope you get, find some food. But does nothing to fix that. Does nothing in reaction to the need. See, real faith, here's what James is going to, the bottom line, real faith, life-changing, Christ-dependent faith, changes our attitudes about two things, guys, our love for God and our love for one another. And you cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not change the way that you love God and love one another. 
And because the way that we love God is often kind of very personal and private, most of what we see in each other's life is not so much our love for God, but our love for what? One another. Last week when we were talking about racial, you know, unity, right after some of the, 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 the terrible violence that happened a couple of weeks ago was uh, the Saturday morning of ISERVE. We got out there, we're helping people that don't have a lot of food to, to help them with uh, some food. And after, you know, people would get in their car, there's a time of prayer. And guys, you're talking about breaking down the divides of, of racial tension? Start helping one another out. And then they were gathered in prayer. I think Jeff got two or three pictures of, of a circle. And it was red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That's what James is talking about. Not, hey, I went to serve today, therefore God loves me more and I get to go to heaven. No, because God loves me unconditionally based on what Christ and Christ alone has done. He's made me right with him because of the work of Christ. Now, because of that, out of just pure appreciation, out of the love and gratitude that I have for this God, man, I'm going to go love my brother. That's what James is saying. Look at verse 17. What's the first two words? So also, when you say something like so also, you're linking those words with what was just said. He just gave the illustration. Hey, you say you love your brother, but then you just tell him to go on and be blessed, but you don't help his need. Here's what he's linking to that. Verse 17. So also, faith by itself, that is no works. It doesn't show on the outside. If it does not have works, is what? Dead. He's not saying faith plus works. He's simply saying, hey, real faith works. And that's just saying, I promise, better for worse, rich or poor. You're making good on that. You're living it out. Because there are days... That you're poorer than you're richer. You're sicker than you're healthy. It's just things are kind of going the wrong way. And on those days, that's when you're going to keep this covenant of marriage. It means something. I'm not just kind of riding the, the high cycle here. Well, that's the first thought. That was the first verse that we kind of have to contend with. The second one is, look at verse 24. And it seems to really contradict Paul. He, James starts his second argument um, with a scenario about what, two people that are arguing about faith and works. Look at the argument, verse 18. But someone will say, and maybe this person was in the church there in Jerusalem. Remember, James is kind of the pastor of, of the Jerusalem church. In the Jerusalem per- church, do you think there's more Gentiles or Jews? Jews. It's Jerusalem. Okay? Doesn't mean that there's not some Gentiles, but probably a largely Jewish now converted to Christianity, congregation. And he says that two people, he's making this illustration, somebody comes up and says, you have faith and I have works. Either one of these are okay. It's kind of the supposition that he's making. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what he's saying is one person says, look, I am made right with God simply by faith. No works needed. Another person is saying, you know, Oh, I have faith, but I'll show you that faith by the way that I change my love for God and the way that I change my attitude and my love for one another. 
One saying faith alone. The other one says my faith is actually showing itself by the work that God has done in my life. Two men arguing. Look at verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. He's like talking to the guy who's saying, okay, just faith. I don't need any works. He said, you believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. He said, you're talking about faith, but no works. It hasn't changed your life, the way that you go out and love your brother, the way that you respond to God. He said, that kind of faith is an intellectual faith. It's a faith up here, but not a faith in here. He said, and this is kind of a low blow. So if this guy was really in the church in Jerusalem, you know, if Paul's, I mean, if James is kind of passive aggressive and he's using this kind of argument, that guy is sitting there. He's kind of pointing out this guy. And he says, basically, you're thinking like the demons. Now, let me ask you something. Do the demons know their theology? I promise you that demons know better theology than any pastor you ever have. Daryl was an amazing mind. I always liked sitting out with Daryl and just talking a couple of times because the guy was deep. He knew his theology. The demons would make Daryl blush. I've been studying for 33 plus years. I promise you, the demons know theology and better theology than I do. But is that knowledge of that theology and all those spiritual truths, does that save you? No. I I don't think there's going to be a single demon in heaven. I mean, I really don't. In other words, just knowing the facts and the systematic theology doesn't save you. It's in your head. But it's not a heart change. And basically, that is James' argument. That intellectual agreement with truth, even if it's truth, is not salvation. Here's the application, guys. You might sit here today and say, you know, years ago, Bobby, years ago, I believe that there's only one God that we have sinned. He sent his son to die on the cross and that Jesus died for my sins. Just agreement. Please hear this so carefully. Just agreement with that spiritual truth does not save you according to James. You made a decision when you were seven years old and you've never had any fruit in your life whatsoever. James was said, you have the intellectual part down, but you don't have the heart part down. He's not trying to add works to a measure of justification of salvation. He's just saying, man, if you were really saved when you are seven years old and you trusted those things, you would feel differently about two things, your love for God and your love for others. That's what James is saying. Is that clear or is it really confusing? Because in one way, these are some of the most debated verses of the entire Bible. But I really, to me, I've never had a problem with them. Every time I've studied them, I see it as two different things where James is saying of the importance of what happens after salvation as we live this out. And Paul is looking more at really the act of salvation, justification in that moment. And so what we have is not really a problem of the two contradictory. What we have is James maybe amplifying what Paul said, or Paul maybe clarifying what James had said. Two different purposes. 
Years ago, Martin Luther called the Gospel of James, or the book of James, a gospel of straw. One of the greatest theologians that has ever lived. And he looked at James and he said, it's the gospel of straw. You know why he said that? Because he's fighting at that time the religious nature of the world that said, okay, works, 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 works. You got to come to Mass. If you miss Mass, oh, there's a penalty for that. You do these sins, you go, oh, there's a penalty for that. You have to come to a priest. Well, you did that. Well, you, and the Catholicism of that day had built up a system where works was the emphasis. And my parents are Catholic, so I'm not talking against how, That was the mindset that was there in the world that day. So when Luther comes up and when he kind of, this Reformation is coming about, folks, that's the mindset that he's coming to come up against. So he's going to say, grace, 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 grace. Why? Because he wants to swing that pendulum away from works. Does that make sense why he would take that argument and that vantage point? Yeah. We'll see by the very end of the sermon today that Luther did come back and make another great statement about the book of James. James gives two examples of, of his argument. James chapter 2.20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And he gives two examples. The first one is Abraham. All the Jewish people in his church would have said, yes, Father Abraham. Maybe they would have, everybody know the song, Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, and Mary's sons had Father Abraham. They may have got up and started singing that spontaneously in the church when he started saying this. But what I was trying to say is, okay, I'm going to go to the most familiar person that you know, and I want to show you that he was made right with God in faith, but it was a faith that worked. Look at the example, verse 21 through 23. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. What is James saying? That when God said, go sacrifice your son, knowing that he had been promised that he was going to be the father of all these nations and that his son was the link to all these generations. He said, it's easy to say, oh, I believe. It's a whole different thing to bind up that son, put him on an altar, raise a knife, and be willing to take his life. Would you agree that those are two different things? In your life, is it easier to speak faith or to live faith? I found out a long time ago, guys, we have thousands, thousands of beliefs. But we only have a few values. You know the things that we say we believe? It comes out of here. It's so cheap. Well, I believe we should do this. I believe we should support the church financially. I believe that we should attend, you know, we should tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, we have all kinds of beliefs. Do we value it enough that we actually do that? That's what James is talking about. It's not just this talk about what we should do and what we believe in, but what do you so believe that you actually value it and you follow through? There was a couple in my last church. 
Uh, I don't know when Miss Cheryl started developing uh, her sickness, but she's been in a wheelchair for many, many years now. And it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, the way this husband loves on that girl. I mean, just loves on that girl. It's like young love. You know, when he said, for better, for worse, sickness and health, I don't know that he really imagined that he would be taking care of her all those years. But you're talking about this purest expression of love and covenant commitment. He's lived it out. Easy to say. Words are cheap. That's what he's saying, man. Oh, you're cold? You're hungry? Well, bless you. (laughs) Bless you. There's a Presbyterian church right around the corner. You can go down there. You know, real faith, the kind of saving faith, isn't faith plus works, but it is a faith that works. And then he goes on to the next illustration, and I'll sum it up real fast because I know it's warm in here. He uses Rahab. Now, Rahab is not Jewish. She's a Gentile. Now, he's got a mostly Jewish, you know, congregation. And just the thought that this Gentile, they're still adjusting to people outside of the, the Judaism coming to know and being made right with God. And so he uses Rahab. On top of that, what do we know about Rahab? It's Rahab the prostitute. Now, I don't know about you, but he could have left that off, but why does he put Rahab the prostitute? Because he wants everybody to make sure, hey, this lady was so out far, the, the covenant, she had so many things wrong with her, there's no way that she could have worked her way in. But her faith, when Joshua spent, sent the spies into Jericho, Rahab, if you don't know that story, had to make a decision. Do I hide these spies? Or do I tell all the, the people, hey, come, there's spies in my house. When they came in and said, we're from God, and this is what God's going to do in your city, he's going to destroy Jericho, she believed on that story. She believed that there was one God, that that was the future of that city. She placed faith in what they said about this God, and I believe that that was saving faith. That's what James is pointing to here. Well, how did she actually live that out? By just verbiage? Okay, I believe. No, after the spies were there and other people come and said, where are the spies? She put her own life on the line, and she hid the spies. Do you see where he's connecting faith and works? Not saying you're saved by faith, but when we're saved, I'm sorry, not saved by works, but when we're saved by faith, works are just going to come. It just flows out of our heart. I am very concerned when I meet somebody and they, you know, we just had vacation Bible school and they said, yeah, I came to know Christ when I was seven years old in vacation Bible school. And they have never embraced church life. They have never embraced a thirst for hunger of God's word. I'm not trying to say that, okay, only if you do these five things are you generally saved. I'm just saying, guys, James is coming from that perspective That talk is cheap, but that anybody who truly has been changed in heart by a holy God, you can't look at things differently anymore. When God saved me, I still was filled with sin, prejudice, you know, dislikes. But I can't keep this heart, be in the word of God, worship a holy God, and still feel the same way about you. 
if my view of you, and if he doesn't start breaking my heart over loving people more, then how can you say that I really had a changed heart? Paul and James are not arguing. They're completing. Paul said, don't think for a second, because here's the two errors that we make, and then we're closing. Okay? Stay cool just for two more minutes. Here's the two, uh, if you want to say slippery slopes. If we think works are required, then we have totally missed the gospel and Christ is not necessary. So it's not a little error. Oh, you know, I think you do have to work a little bit. No, if you do not think that your salvation came by grace and faith alone, then we've added something to the gospel that we find in the Bible. On the other hand, the other danger, if we think of a faith that never shows any outward fruit, then we really do have to question, do I have authentic faith? The great preacher Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said it this way. He he gave the illustration of apple tree. He said, the apple tree does not prove that it's, you know, the, the, the fruit did not bring life to that tree. Okay, because it has apples on it doesn't mean, okay, because of those apples, there is life in that tree. He said, because there is life in that tree from the roots, what did it produce? Apples. Do you see where he's coming from? I don't look at your fruit and say, oh, you must be a Christian because there's some really, really good things. I promise you, I have met people that do not know Christ, profess not to know Christ, and they are a lot more moral than you and I. Good people, and yet... Unfortunately, they will not be residing in heaven if they do not place their trust and faith in the work of Christ and Christ alone. At the same time, folks, and this breaks my heart, this absolutely breaks my heart, there are some people that I have talked to over the years, and I'm glad that I'm not the judge. Only God, and he will judge justly. So, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I, I got baptized when I was in seventh grade, and there has never been a single day of fruit in their life. Not a change of heart toward God and not a change of heart toward man. And James would say, you're not really saved. He said, how can you be a Christian and it not affect the way you live? They're not saying two different things. They're saying the same thing. And so to close this morning, Martin Luther, this one who called it a gospel of straw, look what he wrote later on. We are saved by faith alone. I mean, that was his big thing. We're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. He came back and he wrote that. He said, look, I'm still saying saved by faith alone. I just want you to know that that kind of faith is always going to have a showing. It's always going to have a way that it's being demonstrated. That's what we call sanctification. It's not the justification. It's the sanctification. Growing to be more like Christ day by day by day. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. This is tough, Father. You told us to have childlike faith, and then you put these, these really complex things in your word. And so, Father, I pray that we do not oversimplify, but, Father, I pray this morning that we do not overcomplicate this. Father, in my heart, this makes perfect sense. In fact, it makes more sense than most of the theology and most of the things that you've said, Father, that it just makes sense that if we know you and you truly have saved us and changed our heart, 
How can I not love you differently? How can I not love my brothers differently? How can I not show this world that I'm a Christ follower by actually following Christ and trying my very best to love like he loved, serve like he served, do what he did? Father, I admit not one of those things, not one of those things makes you love me more. Not one of those things gave me entrance into your heaven one day. None of that, Father. None of that adds to my salvation. It's simply the fruit of what you've done. So, Father, will you write that upon our hearts today? That this salvation that you've saved us with, Father, it is not cheap. It was your very best. And mind change and heart change and life change are natural things that come from a life that has been changed. Father, if there's somebody here this morning and and they've kind of tied everything that they know about you back to a decision that they made when they were in third grade at VBS and there's never been fruit, Father, I pray that you would just show them that they are saved by grace alone. It's not works. And yet, Father, show them the proof of, of whether they really did mean that. Was it just words that they said? Or was it really a change of heart, Father? We're not here to judge. We are here simply so that we can use your word to bring clarity to all these questions that we have in our life. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we ask you now, during this time of reflection and decision, Father, that you give us clarity. We pray all these in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and just reflect upon this morning. Altar is open for you to come and pray. And maybe just a prayer of clarity. Maybe it's a prayer of thankfulness for the salvation that is by grace and grace alone.
that Jesus loves us of no merit of our own. In other words, he didn't even look at the way that we would respond as a Christian and go love other people and said, okay, because of that, I love you. He just loves us, guys. So please hear that. That's the foundation of our salvation. James is saying, man, if you're going to have that much of a drastic change in your life, go from lost to found, from a life in hell to a life in heaven, from no hope to all the hope in the world. He said, how can you not go look at the world differently? That's all James is saying. That real saving faith shows. It just shows. Not because we're good people. If I was lame and then I could walk, if I was blind and I could see, if I was mute and then I could talk, I promise you, I would show you the difference in my life. And that's what God has done in our hearts and our lives. That, that's the 30,000 view, okay? 30,000 foot view. If you would like the three foot view, you might be, I really struggled. Man, I struggled with some of the things you said, or I don't understand this. Please call me up. Please call me up. And we'll do the, the three foot view. We'll go verse by verse. I'll get out all my tools and stuff. We'll look at the Greek. We'll do all that stuff. This is the 30,000 foot view. But it's pretty important stuff because I would not want you to make an error on either side. In some way to live out a cheap grace. Or in another way, think that somehow you have to work to earn favor with God because both of those are lies from Satan and both of those can be just a, a, a chains on our life. Uh, I want to say for Carly, um, there was a, a, this Thursday, we were going to have an event here. A lot of our ladies are tied up, out of town, and one of the purposes of that event was just to get the ladies together before school starts and kind of just have a, a good fellowship time. Uh, but because so many of our ladies just cannot be there, that's going to be delayed. She'll get back with you. So know that that event for this Thursday is just going to be delayed. We hate changing events, but uh, at the same time, we want to have those ladies together and just uh, uh, have the purpose achieved. And so um, please take note of that. If you have other needs uh, or information, Carly can tell you that. And it's just good to be here. Okay. And Shane, what is his first name again? Kenny. Kenny. We're going to pray for Kenny as we close today. There's hardly a week that goes by that Shane doesn't come up to me on Sunday morning and say, can you pray for this friend or this friend? I'm glad I got a friend like this guy. That when his friends are hurting, he takes them and he gets prayer for them. Thank you, Shane. Let's pray for Kenny right now as we go. Father, lead us out. The people of God, by your grace and only by your grace. And yet, Father, you have called us to go out now and show that grace in, in action. To see the fruit of what you have done in our lives. And so, Father, help us to go out there and live out these beliefs. That they truly become values in our lives. So much that we just, as Christ followers... We truly just act like you on this earth. I have a long way to go, Father. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers me to try tomorrow what I could not accomplish today. Father, we lift up Kenny, and I thank you for Shane. What a good friend he is 
to bring his friends into a time of prayer. So, Father, we lift up Kenny. We pray for the doctors to give him insight. Father, for Radley, we pray this morning in the loss of his father that you would just comfort him as he goes back to Jamaica this week and as he takes care of some family business. Give him wisdom. Give him ability to handle that. Father, we pray for Daryl and the boys as they readjust their lives, as Father, as they get settled there in Orlando, that, Father, that you will just allow that transition to go smooth. And, Father, we pray for that here, too, because of the longing in our heart and the admiration and respect that we have for a man who's led so well in this church. We love you, Father. We have much to thank you for. So send us out this day, Father, in the glory of who you are, in the joy of life with you. We pray this in the name of Christ who made it possible. Amen. Have a great week, guys.